friends, and thanks for joining me on this episode of my podcast. I am Stephen Perkins, the Editor-in-Chief here at the Outset Network. I'm here this week right outside of Washington, D.C. for the annual Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC as the youths call it. It's the largest gathering of conservatives in the country, and while there's a lot going on this week, you can find the coverage we did at OutsetMagazine.com or on our social media at Outset Network. I took some time to speak to a few people, and one of which is Matthew Malo, the Outreach Director for a new organization called Conservatives for Environmental Reform. It's an organization that focuses on preserving our environment using conservative free market approach. Uh, we chatted about his background, how we got into politics, what inspires him, all that good stuff. And then we also tackled the concepts that CFER is advocating for. Full disclosure, I am involved with CFER in an advisory role because I think they're an organization worth supporting, worth checking out. I certainly recommend you do that. Also, another side note about this format of the podcast, I received the feedback from my email newsletter. If you're not on my email newsletter, go ahead and go to stephenperkins.me and sign up for that. I asked whether it would be beneficial for people to hear more kind of in-depth questions and answers to some of my guests, because I like interviewing people, but I don't like um, asking them, oh, what's your view on this? And what, what do you think about Trump's proposal? Like, there's a lot of stuff that any other podcast can ask. I want to go deeper. I want to get to know these people. I want to um, really figure out, as, as I um, told Matthew, these are like first date questions, and some of them perhaps a little more deeper than that. So I hope you enjoyed. If you do, let me know. If you don't, I guess you can let me know as well. But without further ado, here's my interview with Matthew Malo. Matt, thank you so much for coming on my show. Uh, we're here at CPAC. How are you enjoying it so far? Uh, it's been a really good weekend. Yeah. A lot of it, like the big thing for me is after coming here for, this is my third year, it's less about seeing the speakers, it's more about the connections that you make. Oh, absolutely. I feel the networking opportunities here and you know, some of the discussions you're able to have with people from all different areas of the conservative movement, you know, is the most valuable part of the conference. The speakers are great. It's great to see some of those conservative celebrities, if you will, uh, especially elected officials. Um, but no, the, the people really do make this conference what it is. For sure. Um, so the, the format of my show, as I was sharing with you, is kind of changing now. Where I, I want to get to know more about the young conservatives or, or just the, the, the up-and-coming emerging leaders in our movement, if you will. Excellent. Um, so I'm, I'm going to add, like, this is, these might seem like first date questions, but where'd you grow up? I, I know you're from New Hampshire. Is that where you originally? Uh, yeah, so I was... Uh, Born and raised in New Hampshire, just above the Mass border. Uh, so New Hampshire is a wonderful spot because it's an hour from the beach, an hour from the mountains, and an hour from Boston. So really, best of all three worlds. Yeah. Exactly. No matter what you're looking for, it's within driving distance. And as a result, I've you know, grown up skiing and hiking, and just having a great appreciation for the outdoors. And that's kind of gotten me where I am now. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get here in a second because you're involved with uh, with the new organization that I'm involved with as well, Conservatives for Environment, Environmental Reform. Um, but I'm curious as like growing up, were you, were you in a politically engaged family? Were your parents conservative? Like how did you, I, I guess the, the grand idea is how did you get involved in politics, but what did that childhood look like? No, definitely. So the vast majority of my political involvement really does come from my grandfather. Uh, he's someone that did a lot of work, uh, in the early 2000s with George W. Bush's campaign and then in, with McCain and Mitt Romney. 
uh, in those respective years as well. He would fly to different states as a volunteer to knock doors and make phone calls. And uh, that was the greatest inspiration uh, for me getting involved in politics. My parents are politically active, or politically engaged, I should say, is more accurate. Uh, they follow issues closely, but they aren't the people that are... Um, They're not so much activists, per se. Exactly. Gotcha. Uh, they care about what's going on immensely, and they've always encouraged me to do the same. Uh, and I think I roped them in a bit further sure. as far as so the activist side goes. Did you spend time with your grandfather when he was doing those political a activist activities? Uh, I did, actually. There's a picture from 2004 of uh, me, it probably would have been, what, eight years old, making phone calls for uh, <laughs> Bush 43. And people listen to you if you're a kid, yeah. Uh, apparently. <laughs> if it worked well, I was doing it. Um, but no, in all in good fun. Uh, between local races that I've been working on back home uh, throughout high school and now on the activist side, I think it's it's been a fairly natural progression. Yeah. Um, so you're in school right now. Correct. You're I'm a junior at LaSalle University in Philadelphia. Studying what? Marketing and finance. Yeah. So what does that look like in terms of, uh, obviously the big question is what do you want to do after college? I mean, do you want to be involved in politics from the side of marketing or... What's the vision? I think there are a lot of different avenues in front of me, and we'll see you know, wh which way God pulls me at the end of the day. Um, but as far as the outreach side of political activism goes, that's definitely something I'm incredibly interested in doing. And the work I'm doing right now with CIFR, you know, is a great uh, first foray into that uh, as far as the opportunities that I have opened up as a result. I mean, long term, I think I'd definitely like to work in the private sector, perhaps start my own business. Uh, I definitely want to travel while I can before I settle down. Um, and I think marketing is one of those fields that more and more you can do it from anywhere. And if it's an organization that will let me travel and will let me uh, experience life how I want it. You know, that typical millennial vision, if you, you will. More flexible, yeah. Exactly. Sure. Um, now, you said start your own business, and that, that resonates with me as well. Uh, my dad started his own business. My mom did not start her own business, but she was she had the entrepreneurial spirit. Like no, I absolutely. grew up around that. Uh, what do your parents do? Uh, so my parents both work uh, in. Uh, my mom is an account manager for uh, her organization, and my dad works in cable uh, as a director level. Where do you think um, uh, that entrepreneurial type of ambition? Where do you think that comes from? I think part of it's just innately inside of me. Uh, my parents have always encouraged me that, you know, if I have an idea or a vision, to take it as far as I absolutely can. Um, and they've always been very supportive of whatever I find myself working on at a given time. Uh, and I think, you know, part of it's just who I am as a person. And I think part of it's also a generational thing that millennials are more inclined to take some risks. And sure. Especially while you're young, you know. Also the independence, want to be your own boss, no, things absolutely. like that. I definitely you're get You're allowed that. to be foolish for a certain amount of time. And yeah. You might as well make the most of it. There's a campaign going around on Facebook recently about products of a public school after Betsy DeVos. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what schooling? Did, were you public school or private school? I was public school? school my whole life, all the way through college. And LaSalle is a private institution, but... I was not opposed to public universities either. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I went to a private um, from pre-K to, to second grade, and then it, and it was great because we were in an area where the schools, the public schools were not as wonderful, and so it's nice to have that choice. My parents, you know, I had five other siblings, and so it wasn't like money was just 
easily, readily available to, to put on a private school. But the value it, of the education, the value of the yeah. education, was worth the sacrifice for them. And uh, and so, I, I'm, but I'm always interested. Um, especially when I talk to people about education policy of like, were they, have they been involved in, in either or, but. Um, and I've been lucky to grow up in an area where the public schools in my part of New Hampshire were some of the best in the state. Sure. Uh, and you know, that obviously makes that decision a little bit easier. Um, but from where I go to school in Philly, there's a, a very heavy presence and partly because I'm at a Catholic university, but a good number of my friends have gone to private Catholic schools their entire life. Uh, so th there is some different perspective there and you know you really do appreciate the the benefits of choice and giving the parents that power to make the best decision for their kids and I think that's something that whether it be with you know K through 12 or trade schools or you know postgraduate work you know increasing those opportunities for everyone to find their niche has to be a top priority. Always interested in uh, favorite subjects in school so it, like high school what, what were the things that spoke out to you? Uh, in high school, I was definitely a nerd across the board. <laughs> uh, not afraid to admit that. Sure. Uh, I loved the hard sciences. Okay. Uh, so chemistry and biology especially. Oh um, and also AP US History, AP Gov um, were some of the favorites. Uh, I haven't touched a hard science since I got into college. Thankfully, the AP credits uh, worked out for me. Mm. Um, but that's probably a, a lost love that you know, I'd hope to pick back up at some point, but yeah, no, I, I was on the other side. I did theater, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, I definitely like AP government, AP. I, I took AP economics my senior year. Uh, the teacher there was um, uh, a Steelers fan, and so a Steelers fan, but also like just a sports fan. I learned more about football, baseball, and hockey in that class than I did about economics, so that, that was kind of interesting. Um, but no, hard sciences, I'm not gonna touch those. And uh, it was because my mom was um, a registered nurse. Okay. And I always thought about going into the medical profession, but thank God for people who are sick that I'm not, because that would be such a terrible thing. Um, but so do, do you feel like seeing your parents and the roles that they had with their job, that kind of um, going back to your in market, going through marketing and finance program, um, did that draw you there? What what made you interested in Definitely. that? Definitely. I mean, they both work in the corporate world, and, you know, they've been able to share, you know, the benefits of that and also some of the realities of it as far as uh, the difficulties or, you know, the day-to-day -day work that goes into it. And, you know, both of my parents have worked their way up through their companies. My dad's been with the same company for almost 30 years at this point. Which is so mind-boggling to me. That's Especially so for our generation. Yeah. Yeah, I read something, I don't remember the exact statistic, but the number of jobs that someone our age will go through by the time they're 30 is incredible. It's like you don't really make a career out of out of one company anymore. Right, and I think that's part of the appeal to start my own business because if you do have, you know, skin in the game and, you know, it's your name or your personal brand behind it, you're going to be more inclined to stick through it. For sure. Um, but no, having them both in those types of roles definitely helped put me on the track that I'm on. Um, there was never any pressure there, but you know, you see what they do, and you know, it's like, oh, I want to go Influences. ahead and do something similar. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, and my dad has a technology firm, like IT consulting, and it, it made me interested in the consulting side, not the IT side, but nonetheless, it, you know, running your own business, it's good. Um, so New Hampshire is an interesting state. It is. Uh, it's, it's First in the nation. A lot of libertarians are flocking there, so there's they have that going on for them. Uh, how? How would you describe the political dynamics in that state? So New Hampshire shifted a little bit blue, uh, especially in the past 10 years or so. Right now, both of our congresswomen are uh, Democrats, and as well as both of our senators. 
Although we did elect a conservative governor for the first time in over a decade this election, so we're excited for that. Uh, it is a friendly reminder that you know there are still some Republicans in New Hampshire. Uh, and the general landscape, it, New Hampshire prides itself on being independent. Uh, I think something like 40% of registered voters aren't affiliated with a party as a point of pride, <laughs> uh, which makes running campaigns a little bit difficult. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a very unique state for a lot of different reasons, like you mentioned. For sure. Would you like to stay there? Or you want to go out somewhere else? I definitely think New Hampshire is the long-term home. Uh, and even going to Philadelphia for school, it's given me that perspective that, you no, know, New England is a very special place, and uh, I'm very happy where I am at in New Hampshire. Yeah, I, I always thought it'd be cool to live in New England, but also I, I live in Texas, and it's very hard to like get out of that. We have no uh, state-level income tax, and so that's cool. As the uh, same with New Hampshire. Do you? Okay. No so, state-level income tax, no sales tax. I get it, but here's the big thing. Uh, it's cold. It's very cold there. It does snow, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know what to do in those situations. Um, well, very cool. I So I, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of your vision for you know, conservatism is going through a shift. Uh, Undoubtedly. I, uh, sure. And and I think that CPAC is kind of, it, it's interesting that CPAC is, is happening now that uh, for the past eight years, we've had a Democratic president. Now we have a Republican president. And it's not a Republican president that uh, conservatives are kind of unanimously behind. There's a lot of contention there. Um, did you see Trump's speech earlier? Were you there for that? I was for, there for part of it. I had some other commitments that I had to attend to, but... Just briefly, what did you think about it? I think it was what we would have expected him to say. Um, you know, he was critical of the press, which has been a recurring theme. Uh, and also, some of the conversations he's having about, you know, his immigration stances and stuff like that. It, there was nothing surprising from the speech, and I think it definitely was tailored to his base. Sure. Uh, which make up a decent portion of the, the CPAC crowd. What do you think are some challenges that the, the movement, and I, and I use that term lightly because I don't know if it's as much of a movement anymore. I think there's probably some debate there. But what, the right, what do you think are some of the challenges that we're going through um, and that you've seen play out here this week? I think there's incredibly, um, there are incredible amounts of diversity among the right. Uh, everyone from fiscal conservatives like myself to people who... Uh, fall into other camps such as social issues or things like that and all of that's important and I think having healthy discussions on those issues is vital to the future of the success of the conservative movement um, but I think the fractures have widened a little bit especially in 2016 and I do hope that we're able to bring a greater sense of cohesion not a sense of forced cohesion but I do hope that ideologies start to align themselves that we can speak collectively and actively towards what we want to see as a movement uh, and you know maybe put a line in the sand and say this is something that we firmly do not believe in and I think the rise of the alt-right um, has been a challenge for conservatism and you know there's genuine debate as to how conservative they really are um, but it's not a particular part of the party that I would ever care to identify myself with there's been an interesting shift in the Republican Party, or at least a perceived shift, that uh, the, the Democrats for the longest time have been kind of a coalition party, all these different interests coming together to, to win elections. Right. And the Republican Party has been more of an ideological party, so more 
um, homogenous in that way. But you are seeing, so the idea is that now that's shifting, now the Democrats are becoming a deeply ideological party and the Republicans are becoming a coalitionist party. One of the big uh, sponsors here at CPAC is this big tent uh, organization that's pushing for that. Um, and so I, I've been like, I, I don't know what's what's to come. None of us know what's to come. Exactly. I think we learned last year to stop predicting things. Uh, but it's interesting nonetheless. So what would you say is your, like if, if you if you had to put your idealist hat on, um, what is your ideal vision for where conservatives go now? I think conservatives should stick to the bread and butter of fiscal issues. I think that's policy that we know we can win on and know we can you know, put forward very convincing arguments for. But I don't think we should limit ourselves. And part of the work that I'm doing with, that we're doing with conservatives for environmental reform is taking on this very wide set of issues that conservatives often neglect or don't talk enough about for sure and begin to identify you know ways that we can speak about these issues in a conservative way and you know take that conversation back from the left so like I said while it shouldn't necessarily restrict our movement I think returning to some of those core principles that have gotten us where we are uh, would be a, a very good roadmap for the next few years. So let's talk about CFER, Conservatives for Environmental Reform, CFERUSA.org. Correct. No, I got that right. Um, what's the elevator pitch for it? If someone asks you, you know, what is this organization trying to achieve, what would you tell them? So we are a political action committee focused on educating and uh, mobilizing conservative activists to talk about the environment in a new way. Uh, we're focused primarily on state level issues and tangible solutions that we've seen work in some states that we want to go ahead and pitch to other states as far as legislation goes. And we also want to have a very active role on college campuses. We want to build out uh, a nationwide network of state directors and campus reps that we can bring our conservative messaging to campus and, again, give conservatives a greater share of the voice on campus because we know that's been a challenge, uh, especially in the past few years. Mm -hmm. A big challenge with uh, just environmental reform is that there's um, there's such pushback on just whether it's the language towards climate change or energy policy. Um, obviously, there's a lot of interest there. The big question that I think this organization is trying to figure out just in general is how do you it, it, it's how do you message this for a conservative audience? And CFER takes it from a free market standpoint, right? Correct. So what are those? What are the, the issues that you think are most um, digestible uh, to some of the mainstream conservatives? And we know that messaging is going to be incredibly important. Uh, some of these issues are new for conservatives, and a lot of the conversation that goes into environmental policy is in the very lofty ideas of global warming or climate change. And while those issues are well debatable and, you know, it's important that we have those discussions, we're focused on issues, like I said, that can have tangible results that are achievable. So for us, that's policies towards rural and urban farming. That's policies towards expanding opportunities for renewable energy, uh, identifying opportunities for private landowners to get tax credits based on actions they take with their land, whether it be through forestry credits or uh, lend-lease partnerships that we've seen roll out for state parks in Massachusetts. Uh, and like I said, states are phenomenal proving grounds for these types of policies and we can see what's successful in one state and identify other states where that type of policy would be effective and go ahead and make our pitch to legislators there. And so you're looking at change on the state level, correct? Primarily. We do want to have a federal level influence, but we know 
uh, as a new organization, it can be easier to play at the state level starting well, out. Well, and the question is how in this, uh, this is uh, kind of also another debate just in general within the conservative movement is how involved should the federal government be in issues that may be a state issue. Um, so like where's the line on what the government, on what the federal government should be involved with uh, when it comes to influencing these types of policies? And I think the key word there is influence. And we would prefer to see a shift from the top-down regulatory burdens that we've seen previously to a more market-based solution that incentivizes businesses and people who are taking proper action in, a, in the direction of whether it be green energy, whether it be uh, responsible water management, and issues like that. Sure. And by changing that conversation and giving people an incentive to go out and do what's best for the environment without sacrificing economic growth or without expanding regulation that inevitably disburdens small businesses at the end of the day, we think we can make a very strong conservative pitch that uh, might surprise some people. Is this also about working with the left on some areas of compromise? For sure. And we think that the environmental movement, you know, every, everyone deserves a seat at the voice of the table and for us, especially conservatives. Uh, so issues such as a carbon fee and dividend are something that are not very popular with conservatives right now, but when you look at a net revenue neutral uh, proposal, something that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson supposed, something that former Secretary of State James Baker also supports, there are strong market-based reasons why something like this that either offsets other forms of taxes or, again, incentivizes people to shift towards green energy it can have a tremendous economic effect at removing some of those negative externalities and again slowly but gradually shifting our energy reliance to some of these greener more renewable forms of energy is that true free market it, it's a it's free market in the sense that you aren't having the government come in and explicitly place regulations and we know that when the free market has its pick it's going to pick the future mm -hmm. and that's what drives business is that type of innovation and new opportunities and as soon as we can identify as we've seen with wind or solar or geothermal energy more cost-effective solutions to our energy requirements especially if they're domestically created and generated we see that as a great business opportunity for the free market to do what it does best uh, and achieve some of those sustainable results. Yeah, it's interesting when you when you think of a state like Texas, big oil state, uh, but actually also very successful with wind farms, a lot of wind farms Absolutely. in North Texas. Um, and you have Rick Perry, of course, with the Department of, of Energy and, and um, his diversification of the state there. Um, so how can people, if they're interested, well, if they're interested, how can they learn more? And then we'll talk about how they can get involved. For sure. So the website is CFERUSA. Org. Feel free to check us out there. Uh, we have some great information on our policy platform uh, at varying levels of uh, description, everything from sound bites to full policy papers on exactly why we stand where we do and uh, how we hope to impact legislation moving forward. Uh, and as far as opportunities to get involved, we're a new organization, like I said, and you know, we're building a, a nationwide network of activists on both the outreach front and also policy advisors to be those eyes and ears on the ground in states that we're hoping to target. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, it's been a pleasure uh, working with you in the organization, uh, and, and it's also Likewise. Been, it's been great to get to know you on this podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I will be at CPAC the rest of the weekend. I'm actually back in D.C. for some meetings with Bloomberg government. 
Uh, they're doing a town hall in D.C. that we're Very excited nice. to represent the organization at. Uh, but other than that, I'll be uh, in Philadelphia at school and hopefully lining up some speaking engagements with CIFR at some regional conferences that uh, we're in talks to solidify. And if people want to connect on social media, how can they do that? Absolutely. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Matthew Mailbox, which is a, a play on <laughs> the last name. Uh, so feel free to give me a follow there. Uh, and again, I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone about the work we're doing. And we know that there are plenty of conservatives who share our sentiments and just haven't had that platform to speak out. And we're excited to provide a solution to that gap in the messaging. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for the time. Thank you one more time to Matthew for joining me on this week's show. Uh, Thanks to all of you who I was able to connect with this past week at CPAC. It's always fun to meet people IRL from Twitter and whatnot. Um, If you enjoyed the show, let me know. You can rate and review it on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Maybe you have some platform we've never heard of. I don't know. Uh, In the meantime, uh, before the next week's episode, which will be with Caleb Franz, it's a really great episode. Um, In the meantime, you can follow Outset at Outset Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. I got that premium domain, y'all. No underscore needed. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. And until we chat again next week, take care. God bless. (laughs) 